You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. Um, all right, invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Um, I'm going to try and do this quickly today. It's been a good Sunday already. Got lots of stuff going on. And uh, good to see everybody. How's everybody doing? Yeah? Yeah. Uh, like on a scale of like 1 to 10, you're like a 5. Anybody five, like five, above five. All right, that's good. Below five. <laughs> yeah, a couple of you. All right, that's all right. You know, hopefully coronavirus stays away and uh, we'll, we'll be okay there. Um, but uh, good to see everybody here. It's, it just, it's, does it feel a little weird that like this is, like next week is March. We've had no snow. It's just been like a really weird winter. It's just sort of like messing with you. Like Yankees played yesterday at spring training and I'm watching them and I'm like, man, it's almost like they could play here because it's 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 only like 15 degrees difference. It was like 67 in Florida. Yeah, maybe it's 20 degrees difference, but still, like, just I don't know. It's just weird. So anyway, um, it's just uh, it's good to see everybody today. I want to start by just telling you about a time. Um, this this music team they do a great job. They really do an awesome job. And um, I'm actually I, I I fancy myself a musician a little bit. Um, I play guitar. Uh, I played guitar for a long time and I just enjoyed it. Now, when I went to college, that was one of my, my hopes was that when I went to college, I could join. They had these traveling music teams that would play um, at, our, at our university, and they would go around to travel to different churches, to camps, to conventions, retreats, and they would just play. And as part of being on that team, you got to, you get a scholarship. It was like, it was pretty cool. You get to play music, um, like, kind of like in the band, you know, except it was all church music. Um, but you, we thought we were cool. And, uh, you, and so I auditioned, and it was great. So I auditioned for this band um, as a guitar player. And it was great. I was selected to be on the team. Actually, that's where I met Nikki. Nikki was on the team. Uh, don't ask Nikki about what I was like during that time of my life. She, if you had asked her then if she would ever work with me, she would have probably said no. Um, I was uh, bleach blonde, believe it or not. Yeah, I was a rebel. Oh, man, hardcore. And uh, it was, it was, it was <laughs> yeah, it was an experience. And so I made the team, but they put me on the team as a bass player. I reference you to what I've said previously. I'm a guitar player. If you don't know the difference, um, guitars have six strings. Bass strings have four. Right? There are only four bass strings. So, like, you play a guitar like this, you play a bass like this. All right? That's what you do. Victor Wooten, anybody? You know? Come on. Anybody? Any bass players in the house? Any bass players? We got, we got two. We need more bass players, by the way. So, if you play bass, uh, plug for Nikki. Okay? So, they made me the bass player. I was like, okay. Let's see how this is going to go. So, I was like, well... How am I going to do that? I don't have a bass. Um, I don't have a bass amp, and I don't know what I'm doing. And they're like, oh, we'll teach you. Like, why are you putting me on this team? It's because they really had nobody on the team. It was pretty bad. Um, and so I literally faked my way through a year of music. <laughs> like, they gave me some lessons. It was like one, like an hour and a half. I gave me an hour and a half lesson. That was it. And it was like, okay, go ahead. It was like, <sighs> so I remember like playing at like churches, and I'd be like, you know, doing all this. And somebody would come up to me after me and say, hey, I really love your bass lines. And I'd be like, you don't know what you're talking about because I know I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> and you don't know that, but I know that. So I know you're faking it right now. And there are so many times like I'm just sitting there going like this. And I'm like, I don't I'm like literally not playing the strings. Like I'm just doing this right. There's just nothing coming out of the bass because I, just, like, I don't know what to do here. Just fake it. So like you get really good at faking things. There have been so many times in my life where I have felt unqualified for something. And I just sort of fake it. We get really good at faking it. Anybody else? Like, you understand? We get really good at faking it. I remember walking out of the hospital with my oldest son, Ethan, first time, right, at a Princeton hospital. It was the moment. 
you put this little bean in a car seat that's like, even as small as it is, it was like the biggest one, had the cushions all around, and he still seemed so little. And I was like, okay, like, you just let me take this? Like, is there a book? We get a book. I don't know how many times we called the doctor, like, within the next 24 hours. We're like, okay, it's been like four hours since he peed. Like, should, should he be peeing more? I don't know. Like, um, like we're just so nervous. Like, okay, you just feel, like, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. He's going to be, he's 14 right now. Right? We've got three kids. I'm still looking for a book. If anybody's got a book, like, let me know. Because I could still benefit from a book um, that helps us know. There are just these moments throughout life, and you know the feeling where you feel like I'm just way over my head. Right? I am out of my zone. I'm beyond my pay grade. Um, and you don't want to quit. You don't want to stop, but you have this just really clear understanding that you're unqualified, like that you are not okay for this. And if you're like me, you can get really good at pretending like you have it all under control. Like, yeah, I play bass. Watch this. Right? Yeah, I know how to parent. Just give them cookies. Like, it works. They're happy. Like, leave them alone, right? Like, it fixes everything. So the odds are high that as we go through life, that we find ourselves in situations and circumstances where we're way beyond our abilities, right? And it's, that's problematic, right? Because odds are we're going to make mistakes. You get to that place when you don't know what you're doing. Odds are if I don't know how to play bass, I'm probably going to make, play wrong notes. And if I don't know how to parent, I'm going to... I'm going to do it wrong. And there's so many times, maybe in your job, you feel like you've been promoted beyond your competence. And you're like, ah, oh, I got this job. I don't know how I got this job. And I don't know what I'm doing. You know, or maybe you start a new job. And they're like, yeah, we think you can do this. And you're like, I don't think I can do this. And they're like, no, we think you can do this. All right, kids, you show up. You're like, yeah, I'm going to push myself. I'm going to get an AP courses. And I'm going to, I'm going to go hard. And I'm going to do this stuff. And you get in and you're like, oh, I don't think I can understand this information. This is just like pushing Pushing, right? Every, we just constantly push ourselves, and what happens is it leaves us vulnerable to making mistakes. We probably would, you know, we, we go left when we probably should have gone right, or we, right, we slow down when we should have sped up, and all this kind of stuff, right? We make mistakes. What makes it really problematic is that we live in a culture that some have, deter, have, have phrased, have coined this word, cancel culture. Anybody hear this word? Cancel culture. Nobody. Nobody. A few of you have heard the term. Okay, if you're, if you're under 25, you know that cancel culture is. If you're above 25, you've never heard of it. But once I explain it, you'll go, oh, okay. All right, it's all right. It's, don't worry, time's moving fast. See, you're in over your head just living. Just living, right? And here's the essence of cancel culture. If you mess up once, you don't get a second chance. That's cancel culture in a nutshell. Right. You mess up one time. You're done. You're canceled. You are out. It's right. Does that make sense? Do you understand? Right. That's what it is. Essentially, it's high on judgment, low on grace. It creates an environment where people are terrified to mess up. That's what it does. It's high stress, high pressure. You better not blow it. It leads people to hide and cover up things, which is how we find out about scandals, because now everybody's on that lookout. And so we're always right. Nobody's that good. We're always looking for what's the truth. And they've got, you know, TMZ world where everybody's trying to expose the truth. Right. And so what happens is you create this culture where once we find out something that's wrong with you, you're canceled. Right. You're done. And it breeds anxiety and pressure because the truth is we all mess up. But we're living in a culture that wants to just disqualify us once we do. Right? You want proof of this? I, I know I don't always try and go into sports, but this one is just too good not to. Come on, Houston Astros, everybody. 
Houston Astros. Okay, if you know baseball, the Houston Astros won the World Series, uh, not this last year, but I think the year before, came out that they were cheating. So basically the way baseball works is somebody throws a ball, somebody hits the ball. That's the essence, right? The team that can hit the ball and score more runs does a better job. So the big secret for pitchers is that they can change their speeds, right? The ball looks the same when they throw it. Their arm motion looks the same. And the batter has about less than a second to react, to identify the pitch, react, and hit it, right? It's very hard to do. They're throwing the ball. I think the reaction time is like 0.3, like three-tenths of a second. Like that's what you have, that's how long you have to like just make it, it's just reflex, instinct. You just got to see it. And these guys are like finely tuned machines. It's pretty impressive that they can actually hit a ball. They're throwing it like 95, 98 miles an hour, and then they can go 95, 98 miles an hour, and then they can throw the same way, and it'll come in at like 82 miles an hour. But it looks the same out of their hand. So if you swing, right, and you're waiting on a fast pitch, right, and it comes slower, you miss it completely. So the, the, big, the big advantage pitchers have is they can throw fast and they can change speeds, and, and the, the batter doesn't know what's coming, except for the fact that the Astros put in the outfield of their baseball stadium a video camera. And they were, they, were, they were zooming in on the catcher who was giving the signals to the pitcher. They were understanding if it was going to be fast or slow. And then, no joke, this is real life. Underneath the dugout in a tunnel, they had a guy bang on a trash can. And when he banged on the trash can, nobody else would think anything of it because there's so many sounds in a baseball stadium. But the batter who was up would know this is going to be a slower pitch. It's an, it's a sl- it's an off-speed, it's a slow pitch. So they could now eliminate all fastballs. So they began to know what, if it's going to be a fastball or if it's going to be a slower pitch. The numbers, I mean, they did this for two years at least, maybe even a third year. We're not sure. You know, if you're, if you're any other fan, you're going to believe that they're cheating. They're going to say they didn't. So what happens, though, is that people cancel culture, cheating, found out, oh, boy. Every major player on every team has got something to say about it. We should take the World Series from them. You should take their awards and accolades from them. The Pennsylvania State Little League, right? The entire state of Pennsylvania, right? Has Little League and all the Little League players. All the kids wear, they run around like Major League Baseball uniforms, right? That's their team. So you're on the Yankees, you're on the Mets. They have said no Astros anymore. They have removed them from their entire Little League system. Cancel culture. There it is. Do you understand? That's how it works. That's how it looks, right? Isn't that funny? Like, Little kids, no, you can't be on the Astros. They're cheaters, right? They're cheaters, right? Remember this a few years ago with the Patriots deflating footballs, right? You can do it in politics. You can do this in business, right? Bernie Madoff, like I can just start saying names, right? We can just start talking about all day. Somebody does something wrong, cancel culture shows up, you're done, you're discarded, you're disqualified, you can't serve anymore, you can't work anymore, you're done. Effectively blacklisting people, things like that. So, we as people are highly aware that I'm in over my head. I live in a culture that wants to cancel me the second I step wrong. Okay? So, does that sound like a good recipe for stepping out into new things? Does that sound like a, a good recipe for, like, trying new things or being daring or saying, I'm going to go for it, right? It can make it terrifying to step out and try things knowing that, we might fail. What if we don't have what it takes? And really, it's not so much what if the project fails. Because that's actually not so much of the concern. Like, our, our world doesn't have a problem if we try things that don't work. 
Right? That's not the issue. It's not like, well, what if you tried a business and it failed? No, you keep grinding, you keep hustling. That's not the problem. The problem is, what if I blow it? What if along the way, not so much the project fails, but I fail? What if I do something I'm not supposed to? That's really the fear. Right? The unintended consequence of a cancel culture, which, by the way, is both in the church world and outside the church world. It doesn't matter, right? The problem with the cancel culture is that because we know that we're weak, we disqualify ourselves. We're afraid to let people we love and care about down. And so we forfeit. Right? We abdicate. Listen, I can't be attacked or persecuted or exposed if I stay out of the fight. If I'm not in the game, if I don't say something, if I don't get involved, you can't criticize me. Because I did nothing to criticize Right? You understand, right? This is, this is where we're living. We have become really good at saying and doing nothing, going about our business, but keeping ourselves removed from the fray because it's a dangerous world out there. It's a cancel culture. It's hostile. It's ungracious. And I know I'm prone. I'm just human. And the reality is I'm probably going to fall. And so if I'm probably going to fall, why expose myself to that kind of pain? So I just won't even try. It was my life in high school. That can sum up my four years. That was it. I was a chameleon. You can't see me. I'm here. There, seriously, there are some people here that went to high school with me. And they're like, you went to our high school? Like, yeah, really, I was there. I know. I was really good at blending in. Really good at not making waves. Really good at not drawing attention. I hope I'm not stepping on toes. I might be. The problem is this. With all of that mixture, God created us to be salt and light. Salt is a catalytic agent of change, right? You put salt in food, it, it, it elevates the flavor. All of a sudden, it changes things, right? It heals, it purifies, right? It cures, it makes a difference. We're meant to change the mixture wherever we are. We're not meant to blend in. Light shines in the dark, right? If I darkened this entire room and one of you turned on your phone flashlight, we'd all see it. Light penetrates darkness, Right? We're called to be difference makers. We, we feel unqualified. We're called to be difference makers. Feel unqualified in a culture that wants to cancel us as soon as we fall. That sounds like a recipe for success. Right? <laughs> like that's just a, oh, what a mixture. And the best person who can show us what that looked like, anybody understood that mixture, it was Simon Peter. And that's who we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Simon Peter. He was a prime candidate. This guy was a prime candidate to bring honor, dishonor, and, and destruction to the kingdom of God. This guy was an absolute mess. Right? His namesake was Simeon. That's where you get Simon from, from Simeon in the Old Testament. Simeon was one of Jacob. Remember Jacob, the heel grabber? Remember we talked about him? Right? Jacob was a heel grabber. Right? One of his sons was Simeon. And Simeon was impulsive. I mean, he was really impulsive. He did things he, he, he did not do things that he was supposed to do. And Simon Peter inherited all of that from the name. He was like ready, fire, aim. And if you know people like that, and if you marry to people like that, don't point fingers, okay? He spoke without thinking. He ran before he could walk. When they were in the garden and they came to arrest Jesus, he cut the ear off a slave. There's soldiers there. He goes for a slave, misses the guy, gets his ear, says, Jesus, heal this. But he's like, hey, let me put your ear back on. I, guess, I really, really wish I could have been there to see that. You know, like this is an ear. It has an ear. Yep, nope, that's definitely an ear. Yeah, puts it back on. You know, um, like he was so impulsive. Simon's the guy that like they're trying to rescue Jesus, and he's like this, right? And all he can hit is a slave. 
he's just, he's not a good guy. He probably would have been called a racist back then. He had a hard time understanding how God could take this message and, and bring it to the Gentiles, who was anybody not Jewish, right? He struggled with this. It was, it was hard, right? He gave in to peer pressure. He said, no, this is what's true. People said, no, I don't think so. He said, okay, you're right. All right, that's Peter, right? Jesus actually called him Satan. <laughs> he said, Peter, Jesus is like, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to have to die. And Peter's like, no, you don't have to do that. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Like, okay, Jesus just called you Satan. Like, when Jesus was arrested, Simon Peter denied ever knowing him. All right? You want to talk about a cancel culture? This guy, man, he'd be six feet deep. There's no chance that this guy would have any potential in the kingdom. He was a failure and a liability to the kingdom of God. And yet, Jesus reveals something about his name that it has to change how we see ourselves today. See, when Jesus began his ministry, he chose a handful of guys to be his disciples, kind of followers, those who'd, who'd follow him around, and people he would teach. We'll pick it up in John chapter 1. We'll get to the Matthew verse in a minute, but John will be on the screen. It says this, it says this, Then Andrew brought Simon, his brother, to meet Jesus, and looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas is Aramaic. Um, and uh, Simon's a Hebrew name, again. Remember, that means to like, be heard, to hear. So it comes from his ancestor, you know, Hebrew, Jacob, Old Testament. But then Aramaic name, Jesus said, I'll call you Cephas, which is Aramaic, which is a close relation to Greek, and the Greek transla- translation of, of Cephas is Peter. Right? So that's where you get all these names from. And Jesus chose to, and Peter means rock. It comes from uh, Petra. You know, Petra, the, you know, rock. It's a Greek word for rock. So Jesus chose to call Simon by the name Peter. And the disciples would work and spend time. And it wasn't, it's not so much in the meaning of these names. It wasn't so much like, hey, you know, Simon was a bad name and Peter. No, and Jesus would kind of interchange those names. He'd call him Simon. He'd call him Peter. He'd call him Simon Peter. He'd call him Peter. Do all these different things. But Jesus highlighted it here. And the disciples eventually spent time with Jesus. And then there comes a time where Jesus says, hey, I'm going to call you to follow me. It says in Matthew 4, it says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, but, right, and Andrew, throwing a net in the water because they fished for a living. They were fishermen. Jesus says, hey, come follow me. He says they left their nets at once and came to follow him. So you can see the impulse of Peter. Right? It's a good thing here. He's like, I've made, once, once he makes up his mind, he's all in. So Peter's kind of this impulsive guy, all in. And he follows Jesus for some time. And says, towards the end of his ministry, just before he goes to the cross, Jesus asks his disciples a question. And today, I think this is the question of all questions. And of all the disciples there, it was Peter who, who spoke up. It was Peter. And we're going to read this, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. If you have your Bibles, you can read it. It will be on the screen as well. And we read this. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question, who do people say that the Son of Man, who people say that I am? Right? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, come back. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They're like, everybody's saying you're somebody else, come back, right? And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. 
and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. How do you think that sounded to an impulsive go-getter like Peter? Like, come on, let's do this, right? Like, game on, bring it. Right? Like, he probably would have said, like, rock on. I'm sorry. That's bad. That's bad pastor humor. I'm sorry. Peter would become the mouthpiece for the disciples. He was a leader. After Jesus was crucified and resurrected, returned to heaven, it was Peter who preached the first message. It was Peter who the church actually was built upon. He's the one, right? He lived up to the name. He anchored the early church. That he actually fulfilled that name. And here's just a few things I want to bring out. First week we talked about Abram and Sarah, right? How their names were, were changed to Abraham and Sarah, right? And God called them not what they, what they were, but what they would be, right? He said, you're going to be this. So God doesn't call us what we are. He calls us what we will be. Then we looked at Jacob, name changed to Israel. Jacob means heel grabber. Israel means God prevails. God says, I'm not going to call you what you do. I'm going to call you what I'll do for you. Man, just changes the game, right? And now for Simon Peter, both of those things were true. Peter was not the rock of the church when Jesus said it, but he would become that. Right? This is what Peter would eventually grow into. He was going to fail. He was going to be a wreck, but he would become the rock that the church was built on. And it wasn't because of what Peter did or how smart he was. He was a fisherman. God did incredible things through him because, remember, God said, I will build my church through you. So I'm going to build my church on you. It's not for what you're going to do. It's because what I'm going to do for you. And it would have been so easy for Peter to disqualify himself. Right? I'm going to build my church on you. I'm going to call you what you're not yet. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do for you. And it would have been so easy for Peter to be like, no. Listen, you called me Satan. I must be bad. I overreact. I can't be trusted. I give in to peer pressure. I'm too weak. I'm not smart enough to understand all this. Jesus, I denied you. And you know that. I'm a failure. And it was into that heart Jesus spoke words. I'm sure that Peter carried with him for the rest of his life. He said, no, no. You are Peter. You are the rock. There's a play on words here. You are Peter. You are the rock. You are Peter. And on this Petra... You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Listen to what Jesus was planting in Peter's heart in this moment, just for a moment. First, he says this, Peter, you are important. You're important. The world is going to know about me because of you. I know you're just a fisherman, and I know all those things about you, but the world's going to know about me because of you, and I'm going to create a life-changing community, an eternity-changing community because of you. You're important. Two, You are powerful. All the powers of hell can't stop you. Read this, right? All of the enemy, right? All the stuff, I mean, every resistance you could think of, guess what? It's not going to stop what I want to do through you. Not even you, Peter. Not even your weaknesses. Not even your failures. Not even your vulnerabilities. Not even your liabilities, right? Do not fear others and do not fear yourself. I am building this, and even your weakness won't wreck it. Okay, that's a big one. And finally, he says, you are responsible. What you do matters. Do not disqualify yourself. I know you're weak. I know you are insecure. I know you're impulsive. I know you're unqualified, and I don't care because I am with you, and I'm telling you that when you resist the enemy, he's going to have to go. And when you open the doors of heaven to be made real on earth, it's going to happen. You've got responsibility and authority here. You're important, right? You're powerful, 
you're responsible. Here's my thought. Jesus didn't change Peter's name. He changed Peter. It's really what he did here. Once Peter understood who Jesus was, remember the question, who do you say I am? This is when it all materialized. It all comes down to that question, who do you say I am? And it was Peter who steps up and says, you're the Messiah. The promised one of God. The visible image of the invisible God. The hope of the world. Our Savior, our Rescuer, our Redeemer, Son of the living God. See, once Peter understood who God was, it changed everything for him. You fish for a living, that's great, but now you're going to fish for people. You thought you were just a rock, but you are the rock. And not like, you know, the rock, like the wrestler guy, you know, actor that we know. And not like Rocky, you know, not Rocky. Um, A lot of people like to claim that name, but Peter was like the rock, right? So what this morning? We're not Peter. My name's not Peter. Jesus didn't call me to be the rock of the church. But I'm confident there are those of us here today, as we sit in this room, that we feel unqualified. That we sit there and say, I'm unqualified. I've done things. I look like the devil sometimes. I regret my actions. How many times have we gotten into bed carrying guilt and regret from what you've done that day? How many times have you allowed the pressure of what's popular to cause you to violate what you know is right? How many times have you denied Jesus and you know that he knows it? Sometimes I sit there and go, God, I'm just unqualified. Almost daily. So if you feel unqualified today, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. I have some bad news, though. You are unqualified. (laughs) Um, Undeniably unqualified. Terribly unqualified. We have no business carrying the name of Christian. We tarnish his good name daily. It's not a stretch to acknowledge that's the primary reason people reject Jesus. Mahatma Gandhi, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Frederick Nietzsche, they would have to sing better songs for me to learn to have faith in their Redeemer, and his disciples would have to look more redeemed. Ouch. We're unqualified to carry the name Christian, to represent Jesus. We're all unqualified to be called the church. Have a great Sunday. See, but I also have really good news. Like really, 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 really good news. God just so happens to be in the business of using unqualified people to do his deepest and most profound work. He actually prefers it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose. I want you to have times you see God chose. God chose things the world considers foolish in order to, in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. If we are all unqualified, which we are, then how could God ever use us to do anything that matters? If I'm not qualified, why is God going for the unqualified people? How could we ever be qualified? See, there's just one thing that God needs. He doesn't need skill. He doesn't need ability. He doesn't need wealth. He doesn't need power. He doesn't need strength. He doesn't need 
all of this perfection. He doesn't need you to be perfect. What does God need from us then to qualify us? What is it that qualifies us? And it's the same thing. It's one thing. There's one thing that qualified Peter to be called the rock of the church. And it's the same thing that qualifies you and that qualifies me. And it's how we answer this one question. Who do you say he is? It's what it boils down to. Who do you say he is? Who is Jesus? It doesn't matter who your parents say he is. It doesn't matter who your kids say he is. It doesn't matter what your spouse, your friends, or anybody else says he is. Who do you say he is? That's the qualifier. Who is Jesus? Is he a fraud? Many people have concluded. Is he simply a good moral man who treated people kindly and left us a loving code of conduct? Was he just a historical figure and we'll never really know what he said and did? Or, as Peter said, is he really the Son of God? Did God really give himself up? Did he give up his divine rights and take on the form of one of us? Did he really subject himself to suffering and disgrace and ridicule and rejection and injustice? Did he really actually display the greatest show of love the world has ever known by laying down his life for ours? Who do you say he is? Pastor Dan, that's a really big question. Yes, I know. (laughs) It's the only question. It's the question of all questions, and it demands faith to answer. You can't answer that without faith. It takes a leap. It demands trust. There's no denying that. This is the question of all questions. And it's a question that we have to answer from somewhere deep inside us. It's not something we answer off the top of our heads. It's not something you give a Sunday school answer. Yes, Jesus, Lord, yeah, okay, whatever. No, this is the question of all questions. It takes people who are unqualified, completely a mess, liabilities for the kingdom of God. And God says, hey, guess what? On you, I'm going to build my church. It makes all the difference. It's just, who do you say he is? Because if he actually is Jesus, if Jesus is actually Lord, if he's actually the Son of God, if he's all of those things, then, then, then we begin to understand who we really are. See, because understanding Jesus helps us understand ourselves. See, your name is not Peter. You, you are not the rock, but you are the church. And God does qualify you. God continues to use you to build his church. You are kingdom builders. So here's the, here's the truth, right? You are powerful. See, if Jesus is actually the son of God, then you are powerful as people. That's why it matters. If Jesus is not Jesus, then I'm, not, I'm nothing. And I have nothing and I am I'm able to do nothing. But if Jesus is who he says he is, then he qualifies me and makes me powerful. Nothing can stand in our way. No force of evil can stop the message of love and hope from going out. Truth always prevails. So does grace. Right? There is no fear. The fight is over. Jesus is one. We're secure. We're safe. Heaven's our promise. The power of death is broken. Do you understand? Like We're powerful here. The original context says the gates of hell are not stronger than the church. Gates. What are gates meant for? Just keeping people out. So, the gates of hell, right, it, it keeps people in, and it keeps people from getting in. And Jesus says, hey, guess what, you're so strong, the gates of hell won't stop you. So that means we should be on the 
offensive. We are advancing. We are walking into those places where people are in despair, where they are in suffering, which is a virtual hell. When we walk into their hell, we can not, no gate's going to stop us. Because we're so strong because, hey, who am I? I do not have the power to walk into hell and, and change anybody's life. I can't do anything for anybody. I can't make a difference in anybody's life on my own. I'm nothing. But if Jesus is who he says he is, and he tells me I'm powerful, then guess what? When I speak, when I do things, God can work through me, and he can make me powerful, and I can actually literally advance into hell and save people out of that because of what God does through us. We are not meant to sit here and defend our ground. We're called to take back what's rightfully God's. The message of God's love goes out in force. The church is charged with proclaiming the message of love, and there's no gate that can keep the message of love out. There's no law. There's no land. Guess what? I'm telling you right now, the church is thriving right now globally in some of the most resistant, difficult, hostile places in the world because there's no law, there's no government, there's no military, there's no culture, there's no society, there's no framework anywhere on the planet that can stop the love of God from advancing. You can be oppressive, you can be sinful, you can be abusive, you can do all those things, but the light always penetrates the darkness. Do you understand? This is the church. And when we understand who Jesus is, we understand who we are. And the question is, are we living like that? Are we being the church? Is this just nice, a nice idea? Or no, we got to do business. Who do you say he is? Because if he actually is that, then do you know who you are? Because you are powerful. If this was a fraud, there has not been, then there would be, if, if, listen, if faith was a fraud, there's been enough resistance throughout history that it would have been shut down by now. We're talking thousands of years. But why does the church continue to grow and to thrive? Because it's true. Because it continues to... Listen, it's, it's the resistance that comes that should usually shut down a lie. But the truth thrives on resistance because it proves itself over and over again. And that's what builds faith. This is real because it endures. I invite Nikki up. I'm going to try and close this thing. I'm sorry. I'm a little fired up. Just like Jesus spoke to Peter, not only are we, not only are we kingdom builders because we are the church, and not only are we powerful, but we're responsible. See, when we pray, we invite God to accomplish here on earth what he wants to do in heaven. Everything good. God, whatever you want to do, God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite. Here's, what, here's my fight. Right? Here's what I'm fighting for. I want you to bring love and joy and peace and forgiveness, and grace, and mercy, and hope, and healing, and restoration, and renewal on this earth. God, that's what your will is for heaven. That's what you're going to do in heaven. We're all things new. God, I want you to do something new here on earth. I want you to come down and do something new for my family. I want you to heal over here. I want you to restore. I want you to rescue them from their suffering and their anxiety. I want you to release them from fear. People in addiction, God, release them from their captivity. Give them freedom today. When we understand who Jesus, fin- Jesus is, we finally discover who we are. We could look for a lifetime all over this world wondering who are we really. And it's all not, see, it's not about discovering yourself. So many other pathways in our world will teach you to go find yourself. And guess what? You could search for a lifetime and never find yourself because you are not at the end of that road. We find ourselves when we answer this one question, who is Jesus? Who do you say I am? When we can answer that question, that's where we find who we are. Because he says, you are loved. You are powerful. You are made with purpose. 
You have responsibility and authority. That's who we are. I'm still figuring out who I am. The more I understand Jesus, the clearer the picture of myself gets. Sometimes we just don't think to look there. Stare at a mirror forever and never understand who I am. But when I see Jesus, oh man, he says, you are Peter and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. God calls the broken and he chooses the unqualified and he renames them. He renames us. He calls us what we will be. He calls us what He wants to do for us. He calls us who we really are. Today, I just want to encourage you. Find yourself in Him. Find yourself in Him. Do business with that question. If you have never fully answered that question, that's the only question that needs answering. Who do you say He is? Who do you say he is? I'm just going to close in a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, you are so good that you have shown us and revealed yourself to us. Lord, it's going to take faith, and you know this, for us to believe who you are. You speak constantly. You speak through people. Speak through the created world, through nature. Speak through events of our life and the circumstances. You speak from inside, from outside. There's no shortage of ways that you reveal yourself to us. But there comes a point where we're going to have to believe you. We're going to have to trust and say, you are who you say you are. And Lord, when we do that, that's when we fully discover who we are. I ask today, you make it crystal clear. You would reveal yourself to everybody in this room in a brand new way. Give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, a mind to understand you. Let us be able to answer that question definitively. You are the Savior, our Messiah, the living God. That's who you are. You are not just some historical figure, but you are God incarnate on this earth. You left the comforts, the privilege of heaven to come be like us. To wrap yourself in humanity so that we could get a glimpse of how much the Father loves us. You revealed it to us. You laid down your life for us. Knowing we were broken and undeserving, this is the message of the gospel. That your love for us knows no limit. And you consistently chase us down and pursue us because you have chosen to go after the broken things. You did not come for those who are well, who don't need anybody, but you came for the sick those who know they need help. You came for the broken, the sinner. You came for us. 
If you're here today, maybe you've never accepted that before. You've never fully just acknowledged who Jesus is. I just want to give you that opportunity. No pressure, you don't have to. But if you're here today and you say, I, I need to acknowledge this today, that Jesus is who he says he is, that I want to declare faith today that I believe you, Jesus. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? God, would you look around? God, see our hands. See those hands. See those hands. God, you see our hands. God, you see our hands. You see our hearts. God, you know. You know what's going on inside of us. You know who we are better than we know who we are. And I thank you that you've given us purpose and value. You're so good. God, we just commit ourselves to you today. We commit ourselves to the pursuit of discovering Jesus. And as we do, we'll find more and more of who we are. It's in your good, powerful, mighty name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. I just want to encourage you this morning. If you, if you made a decision today, you can mark that off on your connection card, but tell somebody. Tell somebody close to you. Say, hey, I just need to let you know. I made a decision today. But I'm going to take Jesus at his word and that he is who he says he is.